The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today we are going to discuss the leadership qualities and expertise needed for successfully leading the global businesses. We have with us uh, today two distinguished guests, Santosh and Michael. Uh, Santosh is the president of and chief executive officer of Lone Star Group. He also serves on the board of Petroleum Equipment and Services Association. He has led the global companies and has extensive experience in managing diverse leadership teams for success of businesses and to develop business leaders. Welcome, Santosh. Glad to be here, Mahesh. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, we also have with us today Dr. Michael Grosjean. He is a principal at Grosjean and Associates. He has also served as a faculty at Rice University in Houston. Austin Business School in UK, Dr. Gijon has broad experience base, which includes 23 years of military service, which culminated as leadership policy officer for the US Army, as well as the director of human resources for a 28,000 member organization. As the leadership policy officer, he was responsible for developing, coordinating, and implementing leadership and leader development policy and doctrine for the 1.4 million person active and reserve force in the U.S. Army. Dr. Grosjean's research interests and expertise lie in the intersection between organizational change, strategy, and leadership. His research has been published in British Journal of Management, the Journal of Occupational and Organizational Psychology, Human Performance, Leadership Quarterly, the Journal of Business Ethics, and the Reader's Guide to the Social Sciences, as well as numerous confidential internal organizational reports and publications. Welcome, Michael. Thank you very much, Mahesh. I'm delighted to be here. Wonderful. So, Michael Santosh, what do we hear nowadays? Global interconnected economies, a lot of emphasis on emerging markets, lots of multinational companies. But if you look at grooming the leaders to run these companies across the globe, what is happening? The leaders are groomed at their national headquarters and then sent out to lead. My first question, which I want to put up for discussion is that the right strategy to develop 
global leaders? You know, great question, Mahesh. Uh, given my experience in business, I'm definitely going to give you a perspective that's more business-oriented. Uh, I'm sure Mike, with his um, uh, academic and uh, practical experience, will probably put it in more scientific terms. Uh, from my perspective, you know, the leadership, uh, particularly boards and senior management, uh, should reflect the uh, economies they serve, the customers they serve, the markets they serve, um, and their own teams. Uh, yes, you know, it is very true, particularly for younger companies that are going global quickly or companies that are going global for the first time. Uh, the trust basis lies within one's own culture, and it's very difficult to give up that trust, uh, particularly where the risk of expansion into uh, a different country is pretty high. Uh, unfortunately, uh, most companies aren't um, broad enough to very quickly expand their leadership team to reflect all those demographics that I um, uh, mentioned earlier. So, yeah, clearly, from my perspective, you know, mature organizations that are highly successful should have leadership teams and boards that reflect the uh, markets they serve and the people they lead. Mike? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Santosh. So I want to draw upon that because you're spot on that the reason that we see companies stock their management with folks from the society where the parent of the organization is, uh, is built on that trust. Um, and perhaps even deeper, it's built on a shared understanding of what it means to be a member of that society. So the, there are cultural expectations that occur. And so uh, as, as you know, the difference between a Japanese organization, an Indian organization, a German organization, a Dutch, and an American organization can be wildly different. Those cultures are reflective of the countries in which they're born. And then over time, they become more international. Um, so... The short answer is yes, they should develop global leaders. Um, I'm not seeing it happen as often as, as we would like. And it comes back to that cultural uh, comfort level of understanding that we have relatively similar value sets. And as individuals, we may differ, but if we come from the same societal culture, we're going to be closer to each other than someone from a, a, from a vastly different cultural background. So, so you know, I have, I have another perhaps controversial opinion here. Uh, regardless of whether the organization, the global organization, is for profit or otherwise, um, all leaders measure themselves or perhaps are measured by external um, entities uh, to some performance standards. Um, having a clear background of relatedness um, allows for better trust uh, towards accomplishing those performance standards, beating those performance standards, whatever those goals are. Um, I have found, though, you know, as companies mature and they get really good uh, in with cultural agility, with adaptability, um, you know, diverse leadership teams actually make for better leadership teams, um, primarily because, you know, it's a more holistic approach, I think, to leadership and to management than otherwise. However, it's very difficult for even the most accomplished leaders or um, boards uh, to um, to proactively want to trust people. And, and I think developing that background of relatedness takes much more emotional toll and effort, uh, and it's much easier to just hire people that are just like you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And from an external pressure, you want to go with, uh, with a team that you're comfortable with because there's some security in that. Um, but what we're 
really missing if we go with that type of a, a one flavor leadership team is that the workforce in a multinational organization is made up of multinational members. And let's boil leadership down to its three components. You're going to work on people's capabilities and skills. You're going to work on the energy they bring to the workplace, motivation. And you're going to work on creating a space in which they can be successful. There are societal variances of that. And so what's motivational to uh, someone from a European tradition is not going to be motivational to someone from an African tradition. And the idea of having a, a global leader is someone that can actually adjust and adapt across those cultural boundaries to, to get the best out of the skill set, the, the energy people bring to the work, and in creating the environment in which people are going to be wildly successful. Um, the problem is when we see folks that come from a siloed background, a one cultural perspective, and I've got several clients that, that bring us in to actually work with that uh, you know, Europeans managing uh, Egyptian organizations or, uh, you know, Arabic uh, um, countries uh, setting up management teams in the United States. Mm -hmm. There's this divide and a lack of sensitivity to how do I get folks to work well. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I think that, that this idea of should there be a global leader, absolutely yes. It's just not very common. Yeah. And, and I, would, I would add that I don't think it is with, uh, let's call it a racist or a malicious intent, um, you know, I think I think we all have blinders, and you know, as as we mature as people and as leaders, uh, with with mentorship, with help, with third parties pointing out, we will get there. But in the heat of the battle, right? And I know this is one of your favorite subjects, Mike. Uh, it's very difficult to take the time to step a few steps back, or let's say go back up thirty thousand feet to really view, you know, what's going on. So, you know, my, my premise is not based on, you know, it, the comfort comes from, you know, some bias of some sort. I think it generally comes from blinders of some sort. Absolutely. Then you know, values, both organizational and, and societal, uh, form culture. That's the basis for culture is what we believe. And it's our value set. And that's the yardstick we use to measure behavior, performance, and outcome. And so someone from a, from a culture that, that values uh, duty and conscientiousness and, and focus on attention to detail is going to see someone from a culture that is more, uh, the technical term is loosey-goosey, mm -hmm. right? You know, that they, yeah. they, they, they flow back and forth. They're not as focused on the, the detail. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're going to assess them in a certain way. And without that understanding of why that value set can add uh, capacity to the organization, you could lose some talent and, and you might not find the right tools to get them uh, aligned with the outcomes behaviors that you're seeking. Now, if you look at today's environment, it's a globally interconnected set of economies. And the whole world is moving from industrial era to digital era. Different way of communicating, different way of giving signals, different way of getting together with the team instead of being together, you may be using digital medias to be communicating with people. Uh, what is expected in digital era from global business leaders? So, so Mahesh, fantastic question, right? So in addition to, uh, let's call it cultural differences, uh, there are generational differences. And those generational dif differences, and I see this between uh, my own kids and myself, uh, you know, similar cultures, clearly same background, same culture, However, communication styles, you know, they're far more savvy with social media, with electronics, um, with emojis, which I have a hard time deciphering the first one. Um, and as a leader of a business, I'm dealing now with uh, lots of millennials and 
younger folks, not just from across the world, but even within our own um, cultures, that uh, that communication and leadership challenges just um, get you know much much tougher. Um, you know, I, I was in a conversation this morning with one of my uh, younger team members uh, who has a hard time realizing that um, I am not tech savvy. And I can remember just 20 years ago, I was the most technically person, you know, savvy person on my own team, right? So this layers on this digital era and the, the call it associated uh, lack of uh, comfort for folks like me versus um, the youngsters that grew up with smartphones, um, you know, poses yet another set of challenges. So leadership is probably not just about the cultural issues that we talked about earlier or the global issues. I think there's another very severe layer of complexity. Good news could be that youngsters are probably better at connecting with each other because they've overcome those biases because they even play video games across the world with each other. And maybe there's a solution in there, but I'll let Mike chime in and then I'm sure we'll have a debate about this. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. The idea of generational differences with the millennial and you know the tweeners and the dozen other categories we have of you know kind of age groups means that we actually don't communicate well across those boundaries. And let's add to the mix a geographically dispersed company. 40 years ago, the business unit in China ran independent. Some degree of guidance, but in honesty, relatively autonomous, the business unit in Texas ran independent because we didn't have the technology to connect them. Uh, Right now, with the, the technology that we have, um, we've gotten a little bit lazy, and a lot of work that I've seen lately has been in coming back to the basics of communication. So establishing a hierarchy of, of contact, whether it's face-to-face, uh, visual, so that you've got uh, a, a, a video telecast, so whether it's Skype or some other technology, then voice, and then finally email. The problem with it that's flipped on its head is that too much uh, and too often global businesses and leaders are allowing this, they're relying on, on asynchronous communication, which is email. Yeah. And you're not getting the message across, you're not getting the coordination, and you're not getting the interconnectedness that a remotely dispersed team has to uh, have. Which is very important for the business. You know, Mike, what you're going to do is very important point. We need to continue with that. But before that, we'll just take a short break. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. 
Welcome back. Uh, you are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Uh, we have with us Santosh and Michael uh, discussing the leadership needs for global businesses. Michael, you were talking about a very important point before we took the break. Can you please continue on that? Uh, sure. I, let me wrap it up because I know Santosh has gotten a lot of uh, uh, insight into this issue. Um, it comes back to me that leadership is designed to maximize the, the, the labor of an organization. That's what we want from our leaders. Otherwise, they're just a cost center. And to maximize that, they have to build and utilize teams. They have to build and utilize uh, the skill sets and motivation we talked about earlier. At the heart of all high-performing organizations is trust, respect, communication. And those are folks that count on each other and work well together and then deliver against the organization's mandate. Um, trust and respect cannot occur without strong communication. And I think that's when we get into an issue with the digital age is if we have to communicate in 128 characters or less, we're, we're missing content. If we do it just through a, um, a text-based capacity, we miss the, the nonverbal communication. And worse, we lose the skill set to be able to manage conflict in, in a positive way, to be able to... to uh, uh, work collaboratively um, with people that we may not like very well. Um, and very often we use the electronic communications, and, and leaders I have seen do this as bad as others, as a means of, of putting some distance between them and an issue as opposed to uh, owning the issue and, and addressing it appropriately. Mike, you just, you just uh, struck a nerve. It's a very, very important point. So uh, just so we're on the same page, let's... let's um, set the basis, right? So, we, you know, I want to make the, you know, the separation here between leadership and management, right? Because not many people understand it and most people confuse it. Even accomplished leaders uh, are torn between when to be a manager and when to be a leader, right? It is so much easier to be a manager simply because all you have to do is set rigid processes in place. Uh, leadership, on the other hand, takes substantially more emotional strength, Right? You are right. The point of a leader is to make, uh, to lead an organization into an enhanced performance stage. Uh, most leaders are caught up in the metrics that they've committed to whoever um, the, the demographic that they're committing to, right? Either they're telling their board, this is what I'm going to accomplish. And usually it is quantitative and not qualitative. Or they're telling, they're signaling, um, you know, analysts and shareholders that here are the for instance, earnings per share expectations. Um, most leaders don't take the time to step back and think about what is it that they're really there to accomplish. Yes, in the end, numbers matter, but it, is, it should never be a race for numbers, whatever those numbers might be. And, and you mentioned the point of trust. Uh, leaders fear that you know the trust that they have developed over time might be lost if they don't accomplish those quantitative, qualitative, more easily measurable goals, right? So if you take a step back and think strictly about leadership and not about management, hoping that this discussion is mostly about leadership, um, then the goal is interpersonal. The, 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 the whole playground is about interpersonal relationships, right? Uh, of course, components of which would be, you know, IQ and EQ, EQ being more important, emotional intelligence being, you know, more important perhaps than intellectual quotient, right? This is not about playing the best chess game or outsmarting somebody. It's really about bringing the whole team together so that the trust basis, like you mentioned earlier, is developed and, and that there's respect. Um, and there is, and you, like you pointed out, can only be accomplished through communication. 
and communication requires a lot of face time. And at break, you know, you were talking about, you know, you you have to confront issues to be able to get over them. Um, I've never seen a situation where an issue that was confronted by email actually got solved. It generally gets worse, right? Confrontation, not in a negative way. Confrontation is actually a very important tool in leadership. Uh, generally means that you got to sit down face to face with somebody and with respect. Um, hash the conversation out and figure out what the end result is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so most leaders cannot do that in an um, environment that's different from them unless they have developed those interpersonal skills, uh, like you mentioned earlier, right, for me, being an Indian guy, to sit down with you, an American, and be able to talk above our limitations, our cultures. And that can never be done by by email. But I also contend that the digital era can actually also help because I think maybe some of the youngsters don't quite have the biases that some of us that grew up, you know, 25, 30 years ago uh, perhaps um, have. And they're also more savvy in using tools than perhaps we are. So, you know, I tend to contend that, you know, digital tools can be quite useful while in some cases it can be very limiting. Yeah, absolutely, and I would advocate uh, moving away from the digital tools. Um, what it means is we have to have stronger norms. Yeah. Uh, we have to have a stronger playbook in place that allows us to maximize that and that the, the risks and limitations of the digital age uh, don't undermine what we're trying to, to achieve. Uh, let me grab one thing that you've said there because I think that it's magnified in the global uh, uh, business space, and that's the idea of conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, my experience tells me there are three broad types of conflict. There's interpersonal conflict, there's task conflict, and process conflict. You know, about the people, about what we're trying to achieve, and about how we're trying to achieve it. Interpersonal conflict always diminishes performance um, because we're not connecting and we're, we're losing our synergy. Um, task conflict and, and process conflict in the presence of trust can help us come up the best way forward because we can disagree on an approach but still respect each other and come up with some type of accommodation that that brings the best points out of both of us and we'll get something better in place of the organization. That is compounded tenfold when we put cultural differences into place uh, because there are certain cultural variables that are some some cultures that are uh, conflict avoidant. Mm -hmm. And there are others that are conflict approachable, <laughs> and so they actually right. strive for that. Uh, and so, be, being able to to put that in the global mindset, uh, I think, is quite critical for a leader to understand that conflict is a powerful tool, but it has to be managed carefully across boundaries. And and as somebody that's interested in team building, as you are, Mike, I know that uh, the number one thing about team building is to get people to the same basis. And both in terms of awareness of the cultural differences. And the cultural differences need not be, for instance, across cultures as we traditionally define it, you know, uh, Europeans versus Americans, etc. But I think it is also generational, like we discussed earlier. And it is also, you know, uh, as an engineer, I used to have a hard time dealing with, uh, and in fact, did not have respect for people that grew up in the humanities till I matured to a point where I really understood the value of what humanities bring. Mm-hmm. Um, just wanted to add that because, you know, I, I want to make sure that, that you know, we don't talk about diversity in terms of just cultures. Uh, diversity can also be in terms of, you know, I promise you, you don't want a board full of engineers because I know that can lead to disaster. <laughs> and That's talk, a really good point. Mahesh, let me add one more thing. And it's, it's easy to talk societal culture, yeah. but we're talking about professional culture. 
and then also organizational culture. And I think leading up to the next question, it's, it's a good segue, is that many of our international global businesses uh, didn't grow organically. They grew through, our, uh, through mergers and acquisitions. And what happens is, what happens when uh, Tata buys Land Rover Jaguar? Mm -hmm. Vastly different organizational cultures as well. Mm -hmm. And so the, the diversity that we see has got to be representative of a, of a leadership team that can, can manage those and bring those together. There's no such thing as a, a complete assimilation of one culture into another. There's always you know, give and take on both sides. And so we should think about our international business folks. You know, what was the basis for when you added that business unit on, that, that department, that segment, that market sector uh, into your bigger business? And that's a very good point. So it looks like in digital era, you will need those uh, interpersonal skills, very important, plus the ability to leverage the digital tools, the social media, et cetera, to communicate with the team, which are dispersed in a very effectively and timely manner. Mm -hmm. Moving on, how important do you think is diversity in a leadership team? I think even if you're not selling across cultures, uh, diversity is pretty important for the point that uh, Mike just so eloquently put, you know, I, I know what the issue is, but I can't quite define it, right? You were talking about professional diversity, right, which is a new term for me, which is a wonderful thing, because I know um, engineers dealing with lawyers, dealing with accountants, dealing with marketing professionals, dealing with HR professionals have the same diversity problems, add to that gender, add to that race, add to that uh, religion, uh, all have, call it their own silos or blind spots. Um, for, for a team to be holistic, for a leadership team to be holistic, it takes um, real appreciation for where the other person is coming from. Uh, I think too many like-minded uh, or non-diverse, if that's a word, um, leaders that make up a leadership team generally narrows the bandwidth, the appreciation, um, and the respect for the, for the organizations they serve or the customers they serve. Um, and uh, I'm a strong proponent that despite, um, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're going to talk across cultures, even within cultures, diversity is a very, very important thing. And so I, I'm, I'm mindful of the old poem of the six blind men describing the elephant. Right. And uh, if you haven't read it, look it up on, on the Internet. It's fantastic. But at the end of it, the statement is, is that uh, they were also perfectly in describing it uh, and yet also completely wrong. And that's diversity to me is it's perspective. And we want to have perspective taking on issues and problems. It, it helps us think outside the box, outside of our paradigm. Yeah. Um, and we can come up with unique solution sets by having multiple perspectives. Yet, as a species, we tend to suppress multiple perspectives. We want more homogeneity. We want a more uh, consolidated view. Um, and sometimes diversity becomes very threatening to us. So if you sit around a table, and I've been in board meetings, I've been in, in, in executive teams where the one person says, yeah, but I think that's wrong. Oh, you'd think that someone threw something dead onto the table. And it wasn't, thank you for that, that perspective. It's like, how dare you, you know, stink up what we're trying to do here. So, so I have a theory, right? Clearly it's just a theory, and there's no academic rigor to this theory. I think, I think most human beings live in the world of risk management. I think it's uh, innate, you know, we are we are programmed to survive, and that survival requires uh, not taking on something we don't know. Uh, you know, unless you're an adventurer, which is a very very small portion of of the the human population. 
could you define, Mike, what that threat, perhaps we have to wait for after the break, what that threat, what those threats might be that keep us from being you know, fully out there, committed to a cause. Yeah, that'll be great, Mike, if you can throw some light on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll take a short break now, and we'll continue after the break. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We have with us Antosh and Michael discussing the leadership needs for global business. Very interesting discussion, uh, Santosh, Mike. Uh, Mike, would you please continue on the importance of diversity in leadership team? Sure, and, uh, and I'll draw Santosh's question. Um, what we're talking about is a fundamental bias in how we perceive and react to the world. And in psychological terms, we call it confirmation bias. In pragmatic terms, I look in a mirror, I see an 18-year-old, fully fit guy about to join the Army. My wife looks and sees a mid-50 bald fat guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I look for things that, that reinforce my belief set, and it's not that I ignore the other factors, I give them less weight. And so very often we look for things that confirm what we believe or want to believe, and we downplay other factors. About it. And, and that draws us into a, a, a more narrow band, a bandwidth or, or A or groove, mindset. if you will. Yeah. A- absolutely. Um, and so when we start thinking about diversity in itself, demographic diversity, in my mind, is insufficient. It's the most obvious, and it's important that, that we uh, represent uh, um, you know, non-supported groups in, in our organization so that we're not disadvantaging portions of the population. But the diversity that I want to get to is that perspective diversity. It's the, the ability to say, you know, I don't believe that, but I'm willing to challenge my beliefs because you see it differently. Um, and it helps me understand what I'm bringing to the table, and it helps me understand what we collectively can do. Uh, The other aspect of of that level of diversity is too much diversity can derail an organization. We cannot find common ground. So there is a kind of a curvilinear, you know, too little diversity, we've got groupthink. Too much diversity, we can't find enough common ground to actually move forward. So there's a sweet spot in the middle there that we want to balance that. And so... Uh, what I found for most multinational teams, it's a shared identity. If we share an identity that we love the organization or we believe in its vision or we want to make lots and lots of money, that gives us enough commonality that the diverse viewpoints, we can, we can accommodate those. 
But if we don't have some basis that connects us to each other, that, that diversity you know, uh, 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 curve falls off so quickly to become dysfunction because we've got to have at least something that ties us together. Yeah, going back to the leadership premise of trust being the number one thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if, if we're all so different from each other that we don't even have a basis for trust, then clearly those teams fall apart. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Um, very interesting discussion on diversity. Uh, I want to get back a little bit on the digital era. Uh, you know, as you're moving into digital era, there would be some leadership needs which are slightly beyond the general industrial era. What do you think? What traits the leadership leaders rather build to hone their leadership for the future? Um, let me start off. And as with all folks that have some academic background, I'm going to answer a different question than the one you just asked. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to get there, trust me. Um, so the digital era is a compounding factor. Yeah. The biggest issue is that it is easy now for smaller companies to become multinational, to go global, because it's tied together electronically. And in the past, the larger conglomerates had processes and policies and structure in place to handle uh, the the just the difficulty of dealing across you know, multiple time zones, let alone uh, uh, differing populations. Um, the traits that the leaders have to have now, first and foremost, they need to develop savvy. It needs to be cultural savvy, there needs to be political savvy, and there needs to be interpersonal savvy at a much lower level than we had to demand in the past. You know, you, you needed that when you were in the executive ranks 25 years ago. Today, you need to have it at mid-level management because someone at mid-level management is going to make or break your company's strategy because of how they engage a supplier or, or a key and critical client. Mm-hmm. And that savvy is not something we do very well in training. And so we're lucky when we hire people and that have it, um, but we don't groom and develop it very well. There are mentors that, that bring up individual opportunistically, um, but that savvy is absolutely critical. Um, and what that means is that I'm attuned enough to know the differences I can adapt my approach based on the circumstance I find, and I'm not so set in my ways that I have one leadership style fits all. And so that savvy is the first part of should and how should I change my leadership approach given the context of the circumstance we're in. The second is that I've got the capacity, in fact, to do something about it. I've got a a wide enough repertoire of behaviors I can draw from that will be appropriate for that situation circumstance. I I think... You know, I think of it this way, right? All the skill sets that we needed to build to be a good leader, and I don't believe these skill sets are innate. I think they're mm-hmm. all trainable. Um, you know, we could take the time and be methodical because, it, you know, you had 20, 25 years, uh, to your point, Mike, before you became an executive, mm-hmm. and you really got to exercise all of those skill sets. Uh, to your point, two things are happening to the world today, right? The digital era is speeding up the world, right? Uh, the, the point you made about China and, and say, Texas, you know, um, all you had to do was have general uh, kind of consensus on where you wanted to go, and the management teams just thought independently. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, uh, you know, when somebody sends you a text from across the world, from China, there's an expectation of a response, uh, you know, within something reasonable, like 15 minutes. Also, um, the world is flattening. You know, in, 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 in the old days, especially as a youngster, you know, you just followed orders, if you will. Uh, systems were set up where they were top-down. And the rules of engagement were pretty clear and they were pretty simple. Uh, Whereas in today's world, um, the average, say, inside salesperson, right, the first 
call it entry-level job, is expected to make decisions on the fly and doesn't have the time to run um, you know, their decisions up and down the, the organizational chain. In fact, there may not even be an organizational chain, right? Uh, the point you made that you, know, you could be a two, two-man shop you know, in, in Oregon uh, making $300,000 a month of some e-commerce um, you know, idea um, and you need to be, particularly if you're dealing with customers across the world, like very, very savvy about, about how to get stuff done. Uh, I, think, I think the challenges of leadership haven't changed, but the speed with which leaders need to come up to speed has changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I also believe that, you know, uh, unlike in the past where you had to have formal training and experience, uh, today youngsters seem to be able to do well across the world uh, through electronics. And the, my point earlier, I think that it, it, it's both a problem and a solution at the same time. And this, this idea of, of speed of development, and I think that in bureaucratic hierarchical organizations, there's a lot of top cover. Mm-hmm. Um, with the flatter organizations are becoming more prolific, mm-hmm. um, there's less top cover. What it means is that more junior folks have to be more seasoned and experienced. They mm-hmm. have to display wisdom earlier in their career. Mm-hmm. Um, and they won't have had the opportunity of perhaps trying and failing as often mm-hmm. as I've had. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. you get to where you are by you know, successful failures. Right, correct. Yeah. And um, and so that 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 level of awareness and the level of capacity to draw is is going to be quite critical that we push it deeper into our organizations because they're going to set our strategic you know guidance. It's the CEO will plant a flag over the horizon, but in honesty, it's your, it's your mid-level leaders that are going to enact that, and they, they can change the strategic direction of your company if they're not uh, astute enough to kind of figure out how it all fits together. And then it's a challenge for us, but that's okay, because as you said, uh, we're seeing a lot of talent come up for the, the millennials and the younger generations that are coming in, and, and they're finding their own path. Now, here's the last thing. So the, the whole, what should we do as leaders of these organizations Set the conditions, set the expectations, and give them the freedom to lead in a way that's appropriate to them. Mm-hmm. Um, where I've seen this fail, uh, where I failed, is mimicking my own leadership style, mm-hmm. right? Having them say, well, it worked for you, it has to work for me. Or my expectation back to you know, the confirmation bias is, if you're not acting in a way that I would lead, then yeah. you're probably not going to be successful. Right. So, so I, I was going to make uh, a, an observation, right? I believe... Um, Youngsters today tend to learn much faster than we did, right? Um, we, we, had, we had a set pace, if you will. There was an expectation that you did certain things at a certain age, right? Um, but I think the human mind, like the digital era, is evolving very rapidly. And I think um, those skill sets are also growing. Um, as, as younger, and uh, there are young self-made billionaires, many under 30 today, you know, as I observe them, I'm amazed at the speed with which they have learned and perhaps superseded many of the older successful people in terms of leadership. Uh, do you have an opinion about does the speed with which uh, we evolve or we grow as humans, has it, does it change with the digital era? I think it does. And I think also that um, I'm certain your background and mine are yeah. similar in that we were taught certain assumptions. Right. And that those are the assumptions you use to apply it, right? It's very process-oriented. Yeah. Um, the leaders that I'm seeing right now are successful. They didn't know it shouldn't work. And so they tried it, and it worked fabulously. And so um, I think that the restrictions are off a little bit. So when we 
you know, when we think about the, the growth 40, 50 years ago of leaders, it was really through structured process. Right. It was uh, uh, very much uh, an industrial, post-industrial uh, development path. Yeah. And now with the access to information that is at everyone's hands, mm -hmm. the, the ability to think at the speed of light, mm -hmm. which is how electricity works, right? Mm -hmm. It's yeah. the speed of light. Um, we've got to be cautious that we don't hinder them with archaic processes. And I saw this in the military when we started rolling out uh, situational awareness and speed of decision making actually slowed down because we we're applying the old thought process yeah. to the new technology. And it's only when we release that old thought process that we saw the benefits gained from having uh, total situational awareness, you know, point of view from all of the actors and immediate access to the decision maker. Um, and so I think that we're going to have to change our paradigm as leaders to ensure that this this these younger leaders are encouraged to grow at the speed of which they can. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, I think there was one point in time when, call it video games, were new. Um, parents were extremely concerned about children spending too much time with video games and not, quote, unquote, studying, right? Uh, in today's world, um, to, to tap the full potential of the human brain, the speed with which the brain can think, if they're being trained by video games to, to react across the globe at the speed of light or at the speed of electric power, faster than light. Um, you know, my suspicion is someday um, the speed with which our future leaders are going to think will be at pace with the speed with which video games or computers think today. I think you're, you're recommending creating the world of business craft. <laughs> That's, That's what it Minecraft, is. Yeah. Those would be the next video games probably. A great discussion, uh, guys. Thank you so much. We'll take a short break and we'll be back shortly. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Welcome back. You're listening to an interesting discussion today on global business with Mahesh Joshi. We have with us uh, Santosh and Michael uh, discussing the leadership needs for global business. Very interesting discussion. What I was thinking, um, is there anything called a global business leader or is it someone who's just managing a global business? That's one thought I got from the discussion we had. And the other one which came to my mind was, so it's a famous saying, you can't manage people into greatness. They must be led. So with the transition from industrial era to digital, which happened 
approximately three decades ago. It's in full bloom now. Do you think in future, as the digital technologies are being used, we'll still need leaders or more of idea coordinators and experts in managing execution? Because as you said, the organization is getting flat. You get exposure very early in life. So as you very accurately mentioned, leader plants the flag. Here is a vision. People are going. They may change it. But what matters is, ultimately, are you getting the right things done for the organization? Is the effect which a leader would have created by leadership is the organization creating by itself? Let me uh, use that and draw back to what Santosh earlier, the, the distinction between leadership and managing. Um, I think they're the two sides to the same coin. Uh, a leader cannot be functional and effective if they don't have managerial skills, and a manager cannot be functional if they don't have the interpersonal leadership skills. Um, and we balance those. Um, when we talk about managing a global business, we're describing a circumstance. When we talk about a global business leader, I think we're describing someone who's capable of maximizing performance of that, that specific circumstance. And so ultimately, when we start tying this together, mm-hmm. um, most folks, now this is, I, I worked on a study that looked at 64 countries' leadership uh, characteristics, both universal and, and societally contingent. And the really interesting thing is across 64 countries, that's one-third of the nations in the United Nations, um, there were hundreds of thousands of respondents. There were 200 investigators. This is a big study. Um, And one of the things is that most people want to be inspired. So it strikes me that that's more of a universal trait, is that we look for something that adds meaning to our life. And the transactional leader, you do this, I'll give you that will only get to a certain level of compliance. And most of our reward-based systems are still just transactional. Yeah. And what we want is something that, that adds value. That's why spirituality is so important to us as, as individuals and as, as societies. We want something that gives meaning. A leader that helps people find meaning in what they're doing is going to see more engagement, is going to see more satisfaction, is going to see more effort placed, and, and going to see more... Uh, um, people taking uh, autonomy, uh, autonomous action to deliver uh, against the vision. Um, now, we haven't discussed yet if the leader has the wrong vision and leads them down the wrong path. And we've got examples in recent history of, you know, on the spiritual side, business side, and, and the country mm-hmm. side, natural side, yeah. of leaders that led people down the wrong path. People look for the most part for something that gives meaning and value. We spend so much of our time doing work we want it to have some value other than just the money in the paycheck. Yeah. There, there are some people that's all they want. Yeah. But most of us look for something more. I, I agree. So to, to answer the, the first question, uh, Mahesh, about is there something called a global business leader uh, or something called a global business, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it depends on how you look at uh, what does global mean, right? If your entire world were a little village in India and you know nothing else and there's no digital era, uh, your entire world is that, your entire globe is that tiny little village. Right. right? Now, as we get, uh, as the world becomes smaller, as we get digitally more connected, uh, and, and as these artificial boundaries that we have created in the name of countries or religions or whatever demographic you pick, I think is going to disappear, Right. So a true global leader is, in my opinion, just a leader that looks beyond divisions, right? I think good leaders are generally global in nature um, because they somehow have this innate awareness of, you know, knowing the big picture is more important. And in fact, there is there are opportunities in 
looking past divisions. And, you know, we've discussed many divisions before, country divisions, you know, and, and generational divisions and, you know, um, uh, competencies or lack thereof in the digital era. So I think raising awareness in budding leaders that there is, you know, global leader is the same as a leader that just has the full vision, the big picture, and can look beyond divisions, uh, perhaps will simplify that problem that maybe we've artificially created in terms of cultures, because I think the globe is in fact becoming homogenous, right? Uh, the second bit, uh, most people have to be led, right? Uh, leadership, uh, and, and most people are also good leaders. I think of it this way. Most people have all the switches in their head that just need to be turned on appropriately at the right time to become great leaders. Um, and, and, and towards that end, greatness, I think, comes more through... Uh, self-awareness, you know, the components of leadership, self-awareness, empathy, compassion, uh, drive, a desire to go get a certain goal met, uh, to bring people along. Um, I think all of those uh, are um, more of a philosophy of how to achieve results by bringing people together. Mm. Uh, I'm sure Mike's got a more academic description of what I just said. No, I'm afraid not. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> and when we think about it, this idea of being led... I think very often we think of that as a passive activity, but one of the strongest concepts that I've ever seen is followership. Um, all leaders also follow. Even a CEO of the organization is responsive to the shareholders, to the community in which that organization works, and to the people in the organization. I think the higher you go up, actually the more people that you have to follow, um, at least to, to take into account your decision-making. And so this idea of being led is not a, is not a bad thing. It's yeah. not a passive thing. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't abdicate your responsibility to making decisions at your level, the, the accountability and ownership of what you are trying and need to achieve. Um, and so uh, when we think about this idea of followership, we think about what you're talking about, the, 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 the growth of leaders in a global world. Um, it's responsive. It's about tying to the outcome. It's about uh, focusing on that which brings us together as opposed to that which divides us. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, it's to uh, create a space in which people are successful. And I think that's the part we start, we forget. When we talk about leading, we're like, oh, okay, I'm going to tell someone what to do. No. Um, if I give them a vision or help them develop our vision, and then I resource and clear the path to that vision for them, you know, the blocker on a football team is as powerful as the running back, although no running back would ever say that's true, right? If the path's not yeah. open, they're not yeah, getting, they're not to, not the getting to the goal of it. Yeah, and so the leader creates that path uh, and, and creates the conditions for success. And so I think it ties what you're saying you know, so so beautifully together. I, of course, have labored on way too long about it. Yeah, no, no you know, I had, I had a discussion this weekend about this notion of a higher brain, right? It's a philosophical discussion about, you know, most people learn to think at tactical levels, right? Because that's generally what is taught in schools. That's generally how... Um, call it the formal education system works. Uh, however, it looks like there are people that can also uh, think well beyond what they have been taught. And I believe that all humans have this capability. Um, so to me, you know, getting people to think beyond the practical, to think at a higher brain level, is uh, probably the, the, the goal that we all need to aspire to to really create leadership, because leadership, in my opinion, is exactly, you're exactly right, Mike. It's the same as followership. It's, you know, two sides of the same coin. Right? Very well said. Excellent. Phenomenal discussion. We're coming to the end of our program. 
And uh, as usual, I was I, I would like to share three good things about something uh, which we discussed in the program. Today, I have three quotes on leadership. The very first one is from Napoleon, and it actually aligns exactly what you were talking a few minutes ago. A leader is a dealer in hope. And the second one I have from James Crook, which kind of explains where should you focus. A man who wants to lead the orchestra must turn his back on the crowd. And the last one is pretty nice from Thomas Aquinas. If the highest aim of a captain were to preserve his ship, he would keep it in the port forever. So, brilliant discussion. Uh, I think we uh, heard a lot about good leadership and leadership moving on into the digital era. So, thank you, Santosh, and thank you, Michael, for joining in the discussion today. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.